0: Well, welcome to our living room again. I need to say right up front, I miss you all. What we're doing, what we're doing, is like way harder and more time-consuming than we imagined. But I am so grateful that we're still able to do this and connect. I think this is like our ninth time online. Um, we began all this by starting um, a series on Elijah. We had started the series, and then. Um, We put it on hold to do our running on empty thing and Easter and everything else. And we finished running on empty last week. And so I mentioned Elijah and I thought we needed to come back and wrap it up and finish it up um, for a week or two. So um, we're going to do that today. And here's what I want you to hear. God wants you. He wants you. That's good news. But God God doesn't just want part of you. God wants to be number one. He wants to have all of our hearts. In fact, the 10 commandments, the first of the 10 commandments, you know, you'll have no other gods before me. Literally, that means put God first. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You know, and they were trying to trap him and trick him, you know that, but here's what he answered. He didn't even miss a beat. He said, above all else, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, God wants all of our hearts, not just part of our hearts. Our spiritual enemy is constantly trying to turn our hearts away from God. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, maybe you're still checking this all out, and you're just checking us out to see what this is all about. That spiritual enemy is trying to keep you from turning your heart to Jesus. Anything we put in place of the one true God is an idol. Putting false gods in place of the one true God is called idolatry. So here's the thought for today. Here's the thing I want you to kind of keep in your mind today as we go over this story on Elijah. False gods promise what only the true God provides. False gods promise what only the true God provides. And you're thinking, false gods, what false gods? Let me give you a couple examples. I could go on and on on this, but I'll just give you a couple of them that I think one or two of them may relate to you in some way. There's religion. Religion is not God. Religion is a false god. Um, Some people have as a false god the government. They think the government is gonna solve all their problems and provide for them and, and has all the answers. And that really is their false god. They put that first. For some people, it's their job the thing that you're doing to make your money. For some people, it's relationships. A relationship you have that you're putting first in your life, and for some people, it's just plain and simple money. And they would never say money is first in my life, but you see the way they live their life, it is. Because anything we put in place of God as first, anything that we count on for what only God can provide is an idol. And I think the reason that we do that, the reason people do that is they are searching. They're searching for security and support and safety and significance and satisfaction and success, or at least survival. They're looking to find that, but we're looking in all the wrong places. Because false gods promise what only the true God provides in Elijah's day, just like Today, many people were living idolatrous lives. They were worshiping and serving these false gods, other gods. Let me give you a little bit of a recap to catch up, because I know it's been a few weeks since we've talked about Elijah. He was called by God to confront a very evil king named King Ahab. Um, Ahab's married to a very wicked woman named Jezebel. Remember, Ahab was the 19th consecutive evil king. Scripture says he did more evil in the eyes of God than anyone before him. So in other words, it was bad, but he's the worst of the worst. And of his long list of sins and wickedness, the worst thing he did was this. He continued turning the hearts of the people away from the one true God toward the false gods of Baal and Asherah. Baal Baal was like the sun god, you know, the fire god. Asherah was kind of like Baal's partner or wife, you know, um, and the people were no longer worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Instead, they were worshiping these false gods, and the false gods made promises to them. If you worship me, we'll make your crops grow. If you worship me, then you'll have a better life. That's what all these prophets of the false gods were telling them. But false gods promise what only the true God can provide. So God raises up up Elijah, and Elijah confronts this king and basically says, you know, King Ahab, because of the idolatry, God sent me to tell you it's not going to rain until God tells me to pray and ask it to rain. So there's this major drought. Tons of people are dying. It's affected, for all practical purposes, their whole world, their normal was gone. Maybe that sounds a little familiar to some of you right now, normal being gone. For them, it was the worst thing you could imagine, this this drought. And then God sends Elijah into into a period of hiding and into a period of preparation. And why did he do that? Because King Ahab wanted him dead. Basically said, uh, if you see him, it's shoot on sight. Take him out. And so God takes Elijah to a place called the Kirith Ravine. And if you were here way back on April 5th, when we did this the first time, Kirith means a place of cutting or cutting down. It's a place of humbling, where God humbled him and developed him into an even stronger man of God. God fed him in the morning and the evening. Ravens flew in and they dropped bread and meat and he'd drink from the brook. But that verse we've said many times, 1 Kings 17, 7, one day, the brook, dried up. And God called him to move on. And he moved on to a place called Zarephath, and there was this widow there who God told him would have this would happen, and God used this widow to provide for him with just a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour that miraculously never ran dry, and he ate for a long time on it. But one day the widow's only son died. And this growing man of faith, Elijah, took the son up into this upper room, he called out to God and God raised this boy from the dead. And we see this prophet developing into a man of God, the man of God that God wants him to become. Now our last verse that we looked at told us that he went into hiding, and we find out now, God wants him to go and to confront this evil king. The hiding's over, and that's where we pick up the story. We're about three years into the drought, And in 1 Kings 18, 17, verse 17 and 18, we see them kind of together again. And here's what it says. When he, that's Ahab, saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? And I think it's kind of funny, the word troubler, um, it's actually very similar to the word for snake or ass, but it was almost like Ahab was saying, You sneaky, slimy snake, is that you, the one that's bringing us so much trouble? And Elijah says, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and followed the Baals. He's telling them you're committing the sin of adultery. I'm sorry, idolatry. It really was adultery against God, but idolatry. He said, you're putting false gods ahead of the one true God. And Elijah was confronting this very popular idea that there are many gods. You know, you just pick the one that you want to serve. See, here's a couple big seminary sounding words, monotheism and polytheism. So what's monotheism? Monotheism is the belief that there's one God. And as Christians, we're monotheistic in our belief. We believe one God. Polytheistic, though, is the belief that there are multiple gods, And Elijah was confronting a very polytheistic culture where they'd worship multiple gods. Now, those of you who are Christians, I'm guessing you would say, we're monotheistic. We believe in one true God. But even though we believe in one true God, many of us live what I would call polytheistic lives. We believe in God, but in reality, we worship and serve many gods. Most people I know aren't worshiping the false gods of Baal or Asherah. In reality, the false gods today that people worship and serve are much more socially acceptable. Right? I mean, let's be honest. We gave you a few examples earlier, the relationships, the job, the money, the different things that we put ahead of God. So let me ask you, what are some of the false gods you've elevated in place of the one true God? I understand we're monotheistic in our beliefs, but our practices are often polytheistic. So Elijah, the prophet, steps into this very polytheistic culture, and he makes a very strong prophetic statement. I could actually summarize this whole story in this one message here. This one challenge he makes, he looks at them as they're going back and forth, you know, they're looking at his God, they're looking at the false gods. And with all the authority of God, he says, people, it's time to quit wavering. He says, quit wavering between the gods, quit going back and forth. It's time to quit wavering. So what he does is he basically says, we're going to have a good old fashioned showdown. And watch what he says. He says this to the king in verses 19 through 21. King, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And I remember the first time I read this, I'm thinking that is one big of table. That's not really what it means. They probably didn't literally eat at a giant table. You know what it means? These 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah were supported by Jezebel. This was government-supported polytheism. Verse 20 says, So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel, and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. So they're all there. The people are all there watching on all the hillside, and all these prophets are there. Verse 21, here's where Elijah really gets in the people's face. It says, Elijah went before the people, And he asks them this piercing question. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver? Then he says, if the Lord is God, what does it do? What do you do you do? I know you're home alone right now or with a small group of people, but do this. Say it out loud. If the Lord is God, do what? Follow him. And then he says, but if Baal is God, what do you do? Follow him. So you get the picture, Elijah says, if God's your God, follow him. But if Baal's your God, follow him. And you know what the people's response is in the last part of that verse? But the people said nothing. So he steps in. He says, how long are you gonna do this? If God is God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. I can guarantee you if Elijah were here today, he'd be saying something very similar to us. He'd be saying, quit wavering. And you say, yeah, well, God, keep me out of hell, and get me into heaven, but I still wanna do whatever I want. Or you say, oh God, hear my, my prayers and bless me, but I don't wanna obey your commands. Or we say, oh God, I want all of your good things, but I don't wanna stop any of my bad things. And God would say to you, quit wavering. Quit being a Christian on Sunday and a pagan on Monday. Quit claiming Christ and then living like you don't know him. Quit wanting the benefits but being unwilling to sacrifice. He says, just quit wavering. Take a side. In fact, I'm trying to picture Elijah's message to us today, and here's what I honestly think he would say. Get off the fence. Just get off the fence. If those things we mentioned are your God, quit playing around and go for it. Just do it. But if Jesus, the Son of God, is the one true God, then quit your wavering and serve him with all your heart. Don't just claim him and then live like he doesn't exist. Serve him. I can feel the power of Elijah as I was going over this this week, looking directly at me and saying, Tim, quit wavering. And now I'm saying to you, quit wavering. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? So what did he do? He has a showdown and he goes and he says, get two bulls for me. You know, one, get two bulls, one one for you and one for me. And we're going to build a couple altars. And like they did sacrifices back then, we're going to sacrifice these two and we're not going to light the fires. We're going to call on your God and we're going to call on our God and we're going to see who really is God. So here's, we pick up the story and see what happens. In verse 24, it says this He says, Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the one who answers by what? The one who answers by fire, the scripture says, He is God. And the people all said, Hey, that's good. What you say is good. That's what they said. You know what they're thinking? You're an idiot they're thinking, do you know who you're dealing with here? We're saying, we're gonna call on Baal. Baal is the sun god, fire, sun, hot, you get it? They're thinking, you're gonna get smoked, you silly prophet. And so he goes in on this deal in verse 26, the scripture says, so they took the bowl, they prepared it, these are the prophets, they got it all ready, they prepared it, put on the altar, then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. So early in the morning, they got all this done. And until noon, they called on the name of Baal. And they're dancing around going, Oh, Baal, answer us. And they shouted and shouted. But the Bible says there was what? The Bible says there was no response. No one answered. And so they danced around the altar that they had made. I did a little research on this dance. And I would do it for you. But then you'd never come back. Okay? <laughs> This was, this was just a worship dance, but it was a full body, you know, jumping up and down, twisting around, um, it shouts of joy and shrieks to this false God, and nothing happened. They're crying out, Baal send fire and nothing happened. So I love this. Elijah starts messing with them. This is funny. This is like, The man of God, Elijah. (laughs) He's going to start messing with them. And in verse 27, look what he does. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Why don't you shout louder? I don't think he can hear you. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or he's busy. Or he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and somebody needs to go wake him up. (laughs) What's he doing? He's messing with them here. He's saying, I know he's a God, but maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's taking a little nap. Now, there's something that really is funny about this. When he says, maybe he's busy, what he's really saying is, and I'm not making this up. You can go look it up, okay? In Hebrew, it says, I'm not making this up. When he says, maybe he's busy, what he's saying is, maybe he's going to the bathroom. I read that and it makes me laugh. He's saying the most literal translation is maybe he's busy. Maybe he's relieving himself. Actually, some of the newer translations actually just come out and say that. So I'm picturing this. You've got Elijah, the man of God, and he's saying, yeah, you need to shout louder. And I can just hear him say, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's deep in thought. Maybe he's on the John. You know? And, you know, he's just taunting them. Where's your God? Maybe you need to tell them to put down the phone, quit reading the newspaper, and to come out and talk to you. So when you read on, we won't go over all these verses, but verses 28 through 35, here's what these people did. They started shouting louder. They danced around more. They, they started getting crazy. They started to cut themselves because that's one of the things they did there. And Scripture said they shouted all day long. Sadly, though, many of us, we don't dance for the false gods all day long. But many of us do it all lifetime long, our whole lifetime, dancing and praising and pursuing and serving and worshiping the false gods that promise, but never deliver all lifetime long. So finally, at the end of the day, they dance, they cut themselves, nothing happened. And Elijah does this, verse 36, at the time of the sacrifice, which is interesting, that's when they normally did their sacrifices. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward, and what did he do? The Bible says he prayed, okay? He didn't dance, didn't shout, didn't cut himself, didn't do everything he could to get God's attention. He prayed. Here's what he prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God. You are God in Israel, and that I'm your servant, and I have done these things at your command. He's reminding God, I didn't come up with this. I'm doing this because you asked me to. He says, answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know, O Lord, that you are God, and that you are, what? What does it say? Turning their hearts back again. Can you see the power of and, and the beauty in these statements, answer me, O Lord, reveal yourself, show us who you are, let us see you reveal yourself by fire. May we feel the heat of your love. Show us who you are and why. So that you can turn the hearts of the people back again. Because they used to know you. They used to walk with you. They used to serve you. They used to worship you, but these false gods have taken your place, O God. Turn their hearts back again. And as I read that, I I feel a lot of passion for so many of you because I know that there are those of you, you walked with him and then you walked away. And you put some false god or some combination of false gods on the throne of your life. And today, God is trying to reveal himself to you. Why? So he can turn your heart back again. God didn't cause this pandemic, but he could be using it to bring you back to him. There are those of you, and I believe that's why you're watching right now, because God's been working. Why? So he can turn your heart back to him. That's why you're here. Turn your hearts back to him, whichever God has revealed himself by fire. So whoever is God, reveal yourself by fire. That's what he says. He prays in verse 38. Watch what happens. Then the fire of the Lord fell. It's like whoosh. Now imagine that. This lightning ball of fire falls from heaven right after he prays. And here's what scripture says. It burned up the sacrifice. It didn't just start it on fire. It burned it up. It burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil. And it licked up all the water because they had dumped all this water like three times around it and filled up the, he said, dig a trench around it and fill it with water. It burned up the sacrifice and the altar and the stones and the dirt and the water and everything. It says it licked up the water. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. They fell headlong on the ground and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That would be my prayer for us that we would so see him for who he is, that all the false gods would just fall far away in comparison to the one true God, and our hearts would be turned back to him, and we'd say, Lord, he is God, that we would say, Jesus, he's God. Now, I'll be honest, the first time I read this story, I thought to myself, well, duh, you see a fireball falling from heaven, and I'm impressed. Get it? I mean, if I said, God, if you really are there, burn this baby up and then just whoosh, my response would be, okay, God, I get that. You can do that. I can't. And I thought, why doesn't God do that today? Why doesn't God show himself like that? And then at the same time, I was kind of asking that question. It just came flooding in and I realized in so much of an infinitely more beautiful way, just how God showed himself to us 2,000 years ago. When he left heaven, he became one of us in the person of his son, Jesus. He lived a perfect and sinless life so that he could die for us on a cross and be raised again so that we could know him. And when you do know him through Jesus, then all the false gods just seem to fall away. They seem to melt away. So if Elijah were living today, I think he'd say, Tim, quit wavering. If you know God for who he is, you'll never be tempted to serve these false gods because the one true God is so much greater and false gods promise what the one true God provides. I'd like you to pray with me here. God, we ask that you would just pierce us with that question. That we'd be humbled and and in in a very spirit of repentance that we would dethrone all of those idols that are standing in the place where you want to be. Those idols um, that we have in your place, God, I hear you say, quit wavering. For the nominal Christians who are really Christians in name only, I hear you saying, quit quit wavering. For those who are listening today but aren't followers of Jesus yet, maybe they feel unworthy because we all are. I hear you saying to them today, quit wavering. In fact, I'm speaking to you right now that if you will pray this prayer from your heart because you want to finally start following Jesus and quit wavering, It's even on the screen, it's not the words that are magic. It's what comes from your heart. That if you prayed, Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus, I believe you are the son of God who died for me and rose again to introduce me to the one true God. Be the savior of my life. I put you on that throne. I now belong to you. I have been purchased with your shed blood. Take all my life, From this point forward, I am yours. Thank you for new life, and now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. If you prayed that prayer, there's going to be a... a, a email address later that you can email us and let us know that direct messages call and leave a message on the phone find us somehow and let us know that because we're in this together we want to rejoice with you if you need a Bible we want to get you one but we want to be able to connect and be together in this but before we wrap things up today I feel like Steve Jobs one more thing I'll talk about one more thing as our in-person stuff has kind of paused We have been busy praying and planning and pondering and preparing and trying not to panic. Doing all that because we know that we are going to be together again in person one day. And as you may have heard, for us here in Minnesota, anyhow, some restrictions may be loosening slowly, but there's still a ways to go. In the meantime, here's a part of the plan. Because we know we're better together. We know we grow better in connection, and we want to be able to welcome new people into this family where they'll be known and prayed for and loved and cared for in practical ways. We're introducing something today. It's an introduction of micro-sites, micro-sites. Think of it as like it's a small group, it's a journey group, but it's also like a home church or another site or another campus of Journey North Church. The restrictions are loosening, and it's possible that, you know, although groups of 10 or less can begin to meet, there still needs to be this, in you know, the big social distancing thing and all the precautions or anything. So online is probably still the best for this. And here's how it'll work. I'm not gonna give you all the details today. This is just an introduction. There'll be more information and an update later, hopefully this week. Here's the idea. On Sundays, a half hour or so before the service starts, you will have a Zoom meeting or a FaceTime meeting or a Google Duo meeting or whatever the online virtual thing you use. You'll have a meeting with your group. And you can think of it as your personal connection with your Journey North Church family in the foyer before the services start. That's what it will be like. You'll be connecting with your small group of people and it'll be just like hanging out with them in the foyer. And then when it's time for the services start, we'll end the call. And then you'll join the online service at journeynorchurch.com and our online service or on on Facebook or YouTube as those things keep going. Um, You'll meet there um, first and then you'll come and watch the service. And so you're all watching it, but you're doing it separately, but together. That's on Sunday. And then on a weekday evening, we're thinking Wednesday at the moment, but not 100% sure on that we're gonna give an online update. We'll announce it ahead of time and there'll be an online update. And then after that briefing, each of the the microsites will gather again virtually. And these midweek gatherings can take on a variety of forms. You can be processing the sermon from Sunday morning that you watched. You can be processing the updates and the information from the briefing that you just saw. You can be sharing updates and prayer requests and praying for each other. You can be having fun and just facilitating relationships, playing games, doing whatever you need to do. And besides these two main connection points, the microsites are going to be encouraged to have regular, ongoing communication as we share life together. So you won't feel like you're doing it alone. You'll be connecting with people who know you and love you, and you'll be praying for them, and it will be a great thing. You'll be able to invite people into that. So does that sound like something you'd be interested in? My hope and prayer is that we see nearly 100% participation. It can be geographically. You know, people hope uh, a large, uh, a larger distance away. They're They're in a similar geographic setting. They can meet together virtually, but it can be stage of life. It can be whatever. There'll be more info coming soon, so be on the lookout for it. But you don't necessarily have to wait to find out everything. You can virtually gather your small group for this now. Or maybe you're not in a small group, you can gather um, a friend or two now. Just grab some people. They may or may not be a part of the journey in our church. Say, would you like to do this with me? We're Gonna meet a half hour before the service. We'll connect, we'll talk. You know, we might pray for each other, whatever. And then we'll hang up and then we'll watch the service together. And then during the week after the update, we'll get together again. So that's the plan. You'll get more information on this as it unfolds and Um, Until next time, have I told you lately that I love you? I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us. We love you.